Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Some would say Happy Easter. Now I know that bothers some of you. We're going to talk about that. Just a minute. Clarify something. Give you a little etymology, if you will. But we're in Hebrews chapter 13. I know you thought we were done. But we have just one more teaching we're going to do in Hebrews. Uh, On Wednesday night, we will open up the book of James, which really is not the book of James, but I'm not going to say anything more about that. But come Wednesday night to find out. And by the way, James is only five chapters, so if you blink, you will miss it. So come on out Wednesday night at 6.30 and we worship and we'll be in the Word there. Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like to draw one more uh, teaching from this wonderful sermon that we have been in since Christmas. I think that's cool. From Christmas to Easter, one book kind of stayed in it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's so good. I'm going to read it again. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the remembrance And Lord, the the bringing to mind annually what Christ did on the cross, what He accomplished in the grave, and what was blown out in this world through His resurrection. Lord, it is exciting to us and encouraging that this is still recognized the world over. Now, 2,000 years later, the world cannot ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that today. And we come with joyful hearts, though, as your followers, Jesus, we celebrate resurrection every day. It is our life. It is the the cornerstone, Lord, of our faith. But as we do so today, with, with extra focus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and teach us and bring your words to life and and make them real and understandable and comprehensible and, Father, revelational to us. So that more takes place than head knowledge this morning, but that our hearts would be wrapped in the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. We pray, teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we're back from Israel, 45 of us, and we didn't lose a single person. I'm proud of that. In fact, in six tours that we've done as a fellowship, we have not lost a person yet. We've tried, but we haven't lost anybody. Everybody's come back safe and sound. Well, you may have seen this if you're on Facebook and and you're friends with my wife, Cheryl. She posted something about three weeks ago. We were in Jerusalem, Cheryl and I, with our with our guide, Roni, and we were driving around, not much, actually, we were stuck in traffic. It was, it was bad traffic in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, having just passed the residence of Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the prime minister, the gates opened, and four or five black cars in this caravan came rushing past us. And Roni, our tour guide, said, he's just going to work now. It was 12.30 in the afternoon. He's just going to work now. And Rony went, it's good to be prime minister. <laughs> so we saw Benjamin Netanyahu on his way to the Knesset, the Israeli parliament. And so Cheryl posted, we just saw uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, so that's the story behind that. But there's something else that we never told you all that just happened last Monday night. We actually saw him a second time. It, it was remarkable. We were sitting very late night in the airport there at Tel Aviv, Ben Gurion Airport. And here comes Benjamin Netanyahu with an entourage of people walking past us. He stopped, turned around, looked at me, and said, Pastor Rick, I've heard some of your sermons on Israel online. <laughs> April Fools! <laughs> I mean, that would have been great, right? Did you forget that today was also April Fool's Day? Well, don't tell second service. I may may use that one again. (laughs) 
For the first time since 1945, April Fool's Day and Easter Sunday have landed on the same day. Hmm. Now, real quickly, for those of you who have asked the question or raised the issue, should we call it Easter? Because you've heard that it has to do with the goddess Ishtar of the spring and, and all that, the equinox, and we really shouldn't call it Easter at all. We should call it Resurrection Sunday. Well, actually, there is an adjustment we can make in our thinking. Because when you look at the word Easter and where it actually came from, I think it's okay to use the word. I think it expresses something actually quite beautiful. You realize in every language with the exception of two, every language in the world only has one word for both Passover and Easter. They will say Pesach. That's the the Hebrew word for the Passover. And so in every other language in the world, they will use the word Passover and they won't even have a word for Easter. It's just Passover will be used as the Christian holiday, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. They just refer to it as Passover, except for two languages, and that is English and German. The German word for Easter, they also have a word for Passover, but the German word separate for Easter is Oster. O-S-T-E-R, and that is most likely where our word Easter comes from. What does Oster mean? It means the rising of the sun, Oster, or or we we get our word East, Easterly. And the word Oster is used for Easter in Germany because it means the rising of the sun, or literally, the first to stand. The first to stand. Jesus Christ is the first to stand. The first to die and now to stand, risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So you know what? If you want to call it Easter or Oster or Resurrection Sunday, really makes no difference to me. Christ is risen from the dead. So there's a little background for you. But we still got to deal with April 1st. April Fool's Day, and there are those who have derisively connected the pranks of April Fool's Day with the promise of resurrection. They look at the two, and I'd like to actually offer those folks a little bit of assistance. Psalm 14, verse 1, tells us, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. My friends, to seek God is no fool's errand. To look for Jesus does not yield a fool's reward or a fool's paradise. Quite the opposite. I want you this morning to think for a moment about Mary. And think about Peter. And think about John and what they were looking for on that first Easter. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read a little bit of the story from there so we get some background to what we're talking about. John, chapter 20, which is to the left of Hebrews, not very far. John, chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone was already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Love that John points that out. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. By the way, that tells you something. It tells you that you can believe before you understand. That faith and trust is something that happens in the heart, not necessarily something that happens in the head. The head oftentimes has to catch up with the heart. John saw and he believed. He knew. He realized in that moment it's true. He's alive. 
He's got to be alive. There's no other explanation for this. The scriptures that he had been taught and explained by Jesus over the years had not fully come to bear in his understanding, but in his heart he knew. He knew. So the disciples, verse 10, went away again to their homes. Back to Mary. She's standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And some point out that that's a picture right there of the Ark of the Covenant. Two angels, one at either side. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Let me point out to you, Mary is still looking for Jesus. She is searching for Him with all her heart. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, or to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you, whom are you, note this, seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where, he, they, where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. If you search for me, You will find me, the Lord says. Think about the two men on the road to Emmaus. Listen to this story. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Flip quickly back there. Luke 24, 13. Which tells us, behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? (laughs) What things? No doubt with a twinkle in his eye. And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find His body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but Him they did not see. And He said to them, O foolish men, And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then, note this, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Jeremiah 29.13 again tells us, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The fool says in his heart, There's no God. The fool thinks, God cannot be found. But Mary, and Peter, and John, and Cleopas, and the other guy, they were just people 
People like you, people like me who are seeking after God and they found themselves face to face with the risen Christ. Oh, don't stop looking for Him. Don't give up on Him. You want to play the fool in this world, don't look. Ignore the resurrection. Have nothing to do with Jesus. And you will come to a foolish end. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But I'll tell you what, those who search for God will find Him every single time. And you will find Him in the person of Jesus Christ. What did God do so that those who seek after Him with all their hearts would find Him? He brought up Jesus. He brought up Jesus Christ. Back in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, again, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a remarkable benediction, a powerful and potent benediction. God brought up Jesus. He brought up Jesus. And I find it really cool, as I said earlier, that our journey through the the letter, the sermon to the Hebrews, we began just on our calendar at Christmas, and now we're concluding on Resurrection Sunday. I love how that happened, because that's what the book does. The book begins, you might say, from a baby's cry in a manger to a glorious exaltation of a truth that is great. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 told us in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son, through through whom uh, He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. He spoke to us through Jesus. And the first audible speaking of God there in Jesus was in the form of the cries of a baby. You could say He brought up Jesus. So we could see God. You realize that's why Jesus came. So we could see God. So we could know God. So we could understand God and who He is and how He thinks and what He feels. What matters to Him. He brought up Jesus. And verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And note this, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same. Are you getting tired of that? Please, please don't ever get tired of that truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, by the way, is not the first century. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. We're talking about from days of eternity. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us. He is the same from yesterday. From all the way back to the beginning of no beginning. To the back, back to forever. Jesus is the same. And today, in the right now, we talk to Him, we walk with Him, we have relationship with Him right now. He's the same. As He was in eternity, so He is now. So He will be forever, continuing on into eternity. This is more than just resurrection. As if resurrection wasn't enough. Okay? Resurrection is remarkable. But hey, Jesus did it with Jairus' daughter. Jesus did it with the widow's son as they came out of the city of Nain. And Jesus did it with Lazarus. People have been raised from the dead. This is more. This is bigger. This is eternal in both directions. I mean, think about that. What does it mean, literally, to say, God brought up Jesus? He who was pre-existent, was born and brought up in humanity, then to die and be brought up to eternity. This is big news. This is the good news. God brought up Jesus so that we might see God, know God, and love God for all eternity, no longer to play the fool. I want to look at this benediction and break it down this morning and think this through together just for a couple more minutes or three. Hebrews 13 verse 20 begins, Now the God of peace. The God of peace. 
The God of peace. Jesus said in John 14.27, Peace I leave with you. That was on the night of His betrayal. No doubt, on that night, as He looked into the eyes of the apostles, who were yet to be apostles, they hadn't been sent yet. No, they were disciples who were concerned and worried and fearful. And He looks at them and He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The God of peace. John 16.33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. Note that. It's not just a generic peace. It's in me. You may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Now get this. It's interesting to me. He offers them peace. He says, I give you peace. I'm leaving you peace. But never once, at least according to the Gospel accounts, never once until after His resurrection did Jesus say to them, Peace be with you. It's after the resurrection. John 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 21. And verse 26. Luke 24, verse 36. All of a sudden, Jesus begins to say now, Peace be with you. Peace be to you. Doesn't say it before. Why is that? Because note this, number one, if you want to jot this down, Jesus is the peace of God. He is the peace of God. And it was in the resurrection that that peace became available as never before. He offered them peace. He died for the peace. He resurrected and now could say literally to them, peace be with you. Well, why, Lord? Because I'm with you. And because I'm with you, you have peace. Jesus is the peace of God. Are you at peace in your life today? Are you resting in the Lord, trusting in Him? Peace is not ignorant bliss. It is not found in foolhardy evasion. Are you at peace? Do you have a peace, as the Bible describes, that surpasses all comprehension? That goes beyond what your mind can even figure out. Paul wrote Philippians 4, 6, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And real peace only comes when Jesus is brought up. Now the God of peace who brought up the great shepherd of the sheep, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. He brought him up from the dead. Micah 5 5 says, This one will be our peace. Referring to the babe born in Bethlehem, referring to the one who would come from days of eternity, Jesus Christ is our peace. And now he says, God, the God of peace brought up from the dead. This is number two in your notes power over the grave. Power over the grave. You know, you can't go very far in the Bible without being confronted with death. Early on, it hits us like a ton of bricks in the Scriptures. Genesis 3.19, God told Adam, Now by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not long after that, Job Job 30, verse 23 said, I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all the living. Guess what? That's where we're going. Maybe. That's why resurrection is so significant. Because God is the one, Jesus Christ, who holds the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the power over the grave. He's got power over the grave. Now, we're going to do something a little weird here. Just slightly weird. But it's the bridge. Hey, so it's all right. Back at, at Thanksgiving, I was joking around with Rachel and saying, you know, you really ought to write a rap, a worship rap. And she said, challenge accepted. And that afternoon, she texted me a rap, a Thanksgiving rap. And I was going to have her do that. And then I, I don't know, it just kind of one thing led to another. And we didn't do it on Thanksgiving. Maybe next Thanksgiving you can hear it. A couple of days ago, I said, Rachel, I think you ought to do a resurrection rap. And she said, she said something to the effect of, I shall die trying, sir. 
And that afternoon, she sent it to me. You have got to hear it. So Rachel, why don't you come do it right now? Humans wanted to wash the garden and suck in the fallout of sin that stunned our heart. And, and even though we all deserve the guilt we took our part in, we still pine for freedom as the jail bars harden. Because all that crawls has the same fate carving the vermin that worms in like a rabbit in his warren. And he might catch you feasting and he might catch you starving. What certain is he'll catch you? And the rest is jarring, and you can't keep them off with bribing or sparring. As time goes by, those claws only sharpen, because life may be strong, but death is sovereign. Sovereign? Sorry, scratch all of that. This is the present. That was the past. The usurper's curse at first seemed vast, but it's been reversed. It couldn't last. And the true king got two keys, one for death and one for Hades. And he brought all hell to his hellish knees. And he took back captives and didn't say please. And he swallowed the grave like a couple of bees. <laughs> and he seized our sin and he paid our fees. I don't fear the reaper. He's nothing to me. And that black cross was a snake's loss. He crushed his head and a eagle's cross. It was a bitter drop drank the cup, laid down his life, and then he took it back up. So the curse of sin's only deep in his skin. My body might die, but I'll be with him. And then look outside, because I'll rise again, and I'm never going to run out of breath to praise then. So don't waste your fear on a charlatan. Because death may seem strong, but Christ is sovereign. She even raps. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 1 Corinthians 15.54 says, When this perishable would have put, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory for, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, death may seem strong, but as Rachel reminds us, Christ is sovereign. So he is the peace of God. He is the power over the grave, the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. And in Jesus, we see the person of the shepherd, the person of the shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He leads, right? Leads his flock. He always goes first. He doesn't drive or force. He doesn't make them take up the banner first. No, he goes first. Jesus said, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. And here's the point. He brought up the great shepherd from the dead. That's remarkable because he is the one who will shepherd you up from the dead. He went first and he knows how to lead you right out of that. Should we die before he comes? We will be led out as he walked out. Just as Jesus was brought up from the dead, so all who follow him will be brought up from the dead as well. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Surely we shall also be of his resurrection. Romans 6, 8, If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. The God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord. The eternal covenant? Look back at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 14. Where the pastor reminds us, for by one offering... He has perfected for all time. For all time. It is the word DNA case in the Greek. For all time. It's literally continuously. Endlessly. Always. He has perfected continuously those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. It's Jeremiah 31. 
And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Gang, the blood of the eternal covenant is the promise of eternity. And eternity is something the world doesn't pay much attention to. Jesus Christ, unlimited by time, is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hebrews, or, or sorry, Revelation 13, verse 8. The Lamb slain from the foundation, which means, as we talked about Wednesday night, that God was thinking about this through all eternity. Long before you even came into existence, or I did, the blood of the eternal covenant was not an afterthought. It wasn't an oops. Got to cover something. Got to do something now. They messed up. It wasn't a plan B. It was in God's heart from all eternity. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, praise God, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. His grace is eternal. It's always been, it shall always be. What does that do to you? I mean, I mean, think about that just for a moment. Knowing that God was thinking of you and planning on you and preparing for you throughout eternity. Suddenly I find a completely different value in myself that is not based on what I've achieved or accomplished or on my failures. It is based on His great love, which is an eternal love. And just as God is eternal, the blood of the eternal covenant is eternal. It's eternally binding because it was sealed in the darkest moment of all eternity in the death of Jesus Christ. The blood of the eternal covenant. That is, if you jot this down, the promise of eternity. And he continues on in verse 21. He does all this and he says, May he equip you in every good thing. This is the provision of goodness. May he equip you. The word equip, katartizo, is literally may he mend you. May he restore you. Why? May he restore you in every good thing. God heals for goodness sakes. God heals for goodness sake. He mends completely to restore, and He does so with all goodness. What does that mean? Let me repeat to you a very familiar verse, Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things for good, which means even the bad stuff. I realized when we were in Israel this past tour, that I was tired. And I kept saying to Cheryl, I said this several times in the two weeks that we were there, I said, man, this is not as taxing or demanding a tour as it was two years ago. And those of you who went two years ago, you know we did everything possible to smash and cram in everything we could into one single day. And so on on this last tour, the last couple of weeks, we backed off a few things. Now, those of you who are on that tour are probably going, you backed off things? Are you serious? (laughs) Didn't seem like it. But it was not as demanding a tour this time as it was the last time. And yet this time I was more exhausted through the whole thing. And so we get back and, and I'm still thinking about, man, I'm so tired. And I, I was talking to Eva in the office about this. I said, yeah, just it was a much more tiring tour and I'm just not sure why. And she goes, boss, you had major surgery in October. You're still recovering. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I was under the knife. I was in bed for three weeks. Okay, now I understand why I was a little tired. I bring that up for this reason. I didn't enjoy the surgery. I didn't have fun in it. Being in bed for three weeks, while it sounds restful and relaxing to most, was rather painful and uncomfortable. But it yielded great results. This time in Israel, I was eating stuff I haven't eaten in Israel in years. Seeds and nuts and all. It was wonderful. I could eat anything I wanted. And I I fully enjoyed that. And I'm still on the mend. But it's all good. So even this difficult thing, this this painful thing, it yielded a good... We understand that in the physical realm. Guess what? 
God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one, the man who takes refuge in Him. He will equip you in every good thing. That is, even the difficulties of our lives bring about good that is an equipping for what is to come. You see, God restores us for a good purpose. Hebrews 13, verse 21, continuing, that is to do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Number six, if you're keeping track of all this, is the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. He works all these things for His own pleasure. Get that. Philippians 2.13 It is God who is at work in you, not for your benefit. Well, I want it to be for my benefit. Yeah, well, it's not. He is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Let us not forget for a moment that all of this is about Him. That we have been caught up in this massive wave of His grace and His goodness as He accomplishes His purposes and His will and fulfills everything that pleases Him. And people miss this. Don't understand. They'll ask the question, why is it all about His will and His pleasure? What about mine? Hey, listen. The pleasure of God is not demanding. It's a delight. Walking in that which pleases Him is wonderful. It is all good. It makes life better. It fills a heart with joy. It brings about the peace of God and power over the grave by the person of the shepherd and the promise of eternity and the provision of goodness. It is all God's good pleasure to do all these things. And so the best thing I can do when I wake up in the morning is ask Him every day, Lord, what's your pleasure today? What is your pleasure? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And number seven, the last one in our notes, is the perpetuity of His glory. This is important. It all lands here. The Hebrew sermon ends here. You notice he says, Amen. The end of verse 21 is the end of the sermon. What he tacks on in verses 22 through 25 are some afterthoughts, some final comments. But the sermon concludes with this benediction in verses 20 and 21 with a grand amen. It all lands here. The glorious exaltation of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the sermon. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. It is because of His glory that now we are brought up. Out of death into life and right on into eternity, caught up, brought up in His glory. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. And that for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Now that's the introduction. Here's what I really wanted to talk about this morning. This benediction, as I said, officially ends the sermon. But what's interesting to me is for the first and only time in the entire sermon to the Hebrews, the pastor now refers to the resurrection of Jesus. Go back over the book and read it again. Check out the letter. He never once before this talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And yet that's a cornerstone of Christian faith. Shouldn't he have brought it up in the first chapter or at least the second chapter? He never talks about it. The only other times he even uses the word resurrection, he's not talking about Jesus, he's talking about us. He uses that word resurrection, anastasis, twice in the letter. The word that Paul uses in Romans 1.4, He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's what Peter said, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection, the anastasis of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And it's what Jesus said in John 11, verse 25, when Martha was so distraught and Mary so upset at the death of their brother Lazarus, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if He dies, and everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? And see, that's Jesus' question to you and to me this morning. Do you believe this? That I am the anastasis? The resurrection, that word resurrection, anastasis, means to raise to life again. To resurrect, quite literally. But here, while referring in part to the resurrection from the dead, the pastor doesn't even use the right word. Note this in verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Why didn't he say, the God of peace who resurrected the great shepherd of the sheep. Instead he says, who brought up. Hmm. What's behind that? The word brought up is anago. Anago, which means to bring to a higher place. I told you when we started, this is bigger than a simple resurrection from the dead. This is not a moment in history. It is a statement of eternity. Why a different word? This is bigger than anastasis. This is anago. This is bringing up to a higher place. God brought up Jesus in the crucifixion. Right? At the cross. It was, it was hoisted high. It was dropped into a two to three foot post hole. With Jesus on it. Sending a painful shudder through the shoulder joints of our dear one. Tearing the flesh of hands and feet as he dropped down and in that moment dropped down lifted up it fulfilled Jesus own words John 3:14 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life John 12:32 Jesus said and I if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. God brought up Jesus in the crucifixion. Lifted up. God brought up Jesus, yes, in the resurrection. You know, if you stand on the Temple Mount and you look at the Dome of the Rock, that great big temple on the Temple Mount, all around the top of it is written in Arabic. Muslim phrases that are anti-Jesus. In fact, right up there in Muslim or in, in Arabic is written, God is not begotten, nor does he beget. Trying to shut down the whole idea of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, that God would come into the world and be born into the world. God is not begotten, nor does he beget. You know what? That phrase misses the entire point of the begottenness of Jesus. It has nothing to do with His birth. It has everything to do with His resurrection. We've talked about this before. Acts 13.32 Paul said, We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that He raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus obtained the title of begotten In the resurrection. God brought up Jesus in the resurrection. And on that day, in His resurrected state, Mary and Peter and John and Cleopas and the other guy all finally began to really see God. Searching for Him with all their hearts. They saw Him in Jesus. So have I. But finally this morning, understand the word anago, as I said, is to bring to a higher place. God brought up Jesus in the crucifixion. He brought up Jesus in the resurrection. And He brought up Jesus in the ascension. The ascension of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives in front of Jerusalem to the east. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 tells us He was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, and I can imagine them, the eleven, standing there, perhaps some of the other disciples as well, standing there watching Jesus ascend before them. Revelation 12 actually uses the word raptured before them. Although I think his rapture at that time was a little slower than ours will be. 
See, 1 Corinthians 15.52 says it will be in the twinkling of an eye. Boom, we're gone. But Jesus ascended before them, was caught up before them. And I imagine them standing there looking up, drool, amazed, stunned at what they were watching. Because to that point, they had seen Him lifted up on the cross. At that point, they had seen Him brought up in resurrection. But now, Jesus was flying, man. Raised up before them in glory. What an awesome sight that was. And they're standing there looking and they don't want to take their eyes off Him. And they don't. that moment must have seemed like eternity for them until the angel said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. He will return the same way. He will descend. He who has ascended will also descend once again back to earth. Zechariah 14.4 says, In that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Get this, listen. The Anago, the bringing up of Jesus, is vital because it is the entire theme of the Hebrew sermon. And more than that, it is about the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus the Lord. And when we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, I say again, we do not celebrate a moment in time. We celebrate the exaltation of God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. The key passage, by the way, in all of the Hebrew letter, we see it over and over referred to, and I want to read it to you as we conclude this morning. It's Psalm 110. The pastor refers to it in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 7, verse 17, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, and chapter 12, verse 2. Or just read the letter. Throughout the whole thing, he refers back to Psalm 110, which is the psalm of the dominion of the king. Listen to it now. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We've talked about the right hand is not a seat to the side. The right hand is the seat of authority and power in Jewish thinking. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, or according to the order of the King of Righteousness, is what that means. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of His wrath. Verse 5, the Lord, the Lord, that's Jesus. Because He's the one at the right hand, right? Jesus is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of His wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, He will lift up His head. This is talking about Jesus Christ, who God brought up through crucifixion, through resurrection, and through exaltation, ascension to a higher place. And the Apostle Paul wrote... Philippians 2.9, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we're here. Not here this morning. That's why we're here on this planet. That is the reason for our existence, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So that everyone who would search after God with all their heart will find Him in Jesus the Christ. It's only April Fool's Day today if you take a pass on His offer of eternal life. You only play the fool if you ignore Jesus Christ. And in that famous quote from missionary martyr Jim Elliott, 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord Jesus, we exalt You. We praise You. We lift You up. You are sovereign. And our hearts, our minds, Lord, need expansion today to even begin to grasp what it is we're really dealing with here. Not a life back from the dead as much as a life eternally exalted. And Jesus, we bow before You and we declare Your Lordship, Your authority, Your power, Your majesty, Your kingship over all. And Lord, as we talk about these things and look at it, I ask, Holy Spirit, You be moving in our hearts among those who have claimed You and who believe that that we might actually sense more of You and recognize Your glory. But Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, today, move among those who have not yet believed that they might see and know Jesus Christ. That foolishness be set aside in favor of the wisdom of God that is in Jesus. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, and move among us and draw us to Your side. In Jesus' name, Amen. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus is so much bigger than an annual memorial. Don't let it be an annual memorial in your life. This is huge. This is our entire reason for being. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the guarantee that we will live with God forever. And He offers it to us this morning if we will follow after Him. Christians, would you see a loved one saved for all eternity? All you got to do is bring up Jesus. Just keep bringing up Jesus. As God brought up Jesus before us, bring up Jesus to friends. Bring up Jesus to family. Bring up Jesus everywhere you go. Because He has the way of attracting hearts that we don't have. You don't have to worry about having many words or the right thing to say or Scriptures memorized or everything down pat. Just bring up Jesus and let Him go to work. And if you have never believed or received Jesus Christ as Lord, give Him your heart. Do you really search after God? Do you want to know God? You will find Him in Jesus Christ. I invite you to accept this morning His Lordship. To start following Him today if you have not followed Him to this point. Come to Jesus. His love for you is eternal. And if you come to Him today, you will begin to walk forever in eternal life. Let's stand and worship Him. Please come.